Our texts are in John chapter 20 today for our Easter text. John chapter 20, and we'll be looking at Matthew chapter number 28. My father wasn't a man who used flowery words. He was a plain-spoken and to-the-point sort of fellow. He sang hymns a lot, but usually only one or two lines of the hymns repeated over and over and over and over again. He wasn't a lover of poetry. But on occasion, when he was inspired by what was usually some act of bravery, for he was fond of bravery, so am I, and some act of courage, when he saw an act of courage, he was inspired, so am I. He suddenly burst out with a poem that he had learned as a young man. It was a poem about the Crimean War, the only poem I ever heard him recite. During the Crimean War, there was a group of cavalry troops that were ordered to make a charge on an enemy position. But the commander of that cavalry troop had received faulty information. And so it was that those 600 men on horses, hopelessly outnumbered, charged into the valley and were slaughtered. This was the poem he said, Half a league, half a league, half a league onward, into the valley of death rode the 600. Forward the light brigade, charge for the guns, he said. Into the valley of death rode the 600. Forward, the light brigade was not a man dismayed, and every soldier knew someone had blundered. There's not to make reply, there's not to reason why, there's but to do or die. Cannons to the right of them, cannons to the left of them, cannons in front of them volleyed and thundered. Boldly they rode and well into the jaws of death, into the mouth of hell rode the 600. That's what my father would quote when he saw an act of bravery and courage. Those men so hopelessly outnumbered, facing overwhelming odds, rode to their death. My friends, if ever, if ever there was a man hopelessly outnumbered, it was Jesus Christ. He had been abandoned by his disciples and left alone, betrayed into the hands of the enemy by Judas Iscariot. He was arrested by a large group of police and taken into custody. And he stood alone against all the religious establishments at the Jewish temple. Pontius Pilate represented the Roman government and Caesar ruled over the world from Rome. But when Caesar's name was used to threaten Pontius Pilate, the whole Roman Empire chose against Jesus. The mocking abuse of the soldiers and the physical abuse, he took it all alone without anyone to give any evidence on his behalf not one voice was heard he was condemned to die he was nailed to a cross and he died and Pilate wanted to certify that he was dead and so the Roman soldiers drove a spear 
under his ribcage and through his heart, and they gave their certification that Jesus of Nazareth is dead. He didn't stop there. The Jewish leaders went to Pilate with a request, and they used a name to describe Jesus. They called him the deceiver. They said to Pilate, this deceiver, this liar, said that he would rise from the dead on the third day. So we want a guard of Roman soldiers to watch the tomb in case his disciples try to steal his body. And so it was a Roman guard was placed by Jesus' tomb. The Jews tied ropes over that great heavy stone that was rolled in front of the Jesus' tomb. And they sealed the ropes and the stone with wax so that they would know if it had been tampered with by some disciple of Jesus. So it was hopelessly outnumbered and standing all alone, Jesus died and he was buried and the stone was sealed and the guards were in place. He was sure the outcome could never be challenged. Jesus was dead and they wanted to keep it that way. Roman soldiers stood guard Friday night all through the night and all through the day on Saturday, never sleeping while they were on duty. They guarded the tomb through Saturday night into the wee hours of Sunday morning. But then, just before the first rays of light came over the horizon, there was suddenly a violent earthquake and an angel with a fierce countenance came down out of the dark sky. And when he landed on the ground, the soldiers fainted for fear. And that powerful angel rolled the stone away from the tomb single-handedly and with ease, tore the ropes like they were shred, and broke all the wax seals. The stone was tossed aside, and in triumph, Jesus came out of the tomb victorious over death itself. Yes, yes, yes. For we have sung this morning, death cannot keep its prey. Jesus, my Savior, he tore the bars away. Jesus, my Lord, up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph over his foes. <laughs> amen, amen. Now the question is this. Now who's outnumbered? The Roman soldiers lie on the ground, fainted dead away. They had no power to hold him in the tomb. So now who's outnumbered? The Jewish leaders had sealed the tomb, but the wax seal lies scattered over the ground when the angels snapped the ropes and sent them flying. So now who's outnumbered? And the death certificate certified by the soldiers and signed by Pontius Pilate became a false document and false evidence. Its report was incorrect. So now who is the deceiver and who's the liar now? Well, the whole Roman Empire cannot guarantee his death, for he is risen in newness of life. His wounds are healed. His life is renewed. 
and he walks upon the early morning dew with eternal life drawing, flowing through his veins. And he declares, I am he that was alive and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. So now, who's outnumbered? Jesus has turned the tides, overcome all the odds, reversed the entire process, and all the united forces of earth and hell have been rendered powerless against his great display of strength and life-giving power. Now, when I think about it, there's something I really want. I really want this. I want Jesus to get on a white horse and ride through the streets of Jerusalem until the whole city shouts, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And I want him to ride right into that temple and right through the main gate and walk into that temple and say to the Jewish leaders in that temple, I'll take the keys. I want him to walk up to the altar and sacrifice and say, we won't be needing this anymore, and lay his hand on that altar and watch it crumble into little pieces under his touch. I want him to go up to Pilate's palace, which was behind the temple, and burst open the gates and say, remember me? You once asked me a question, what is truth? Here's the answer, I am the way, I am the truth. And I am the life. And I want most of all those Roman soldiers who made a crown of thorns and placed it on his head and clothed him in a purple robe and mocked him and spit on them. I want him to fall, them to fall on the ground in trembling fear and down on their faces on the ground. I want them to say, your majesty, your majesty, your royal majesty. That's what I want. But my friends, as you can plainly see, there's something wrong with me. Something drastically wrong with me. Jesus certainly had the right to do all those things. He had the power to set the record straight and to bring his enemies to his knees. That's what I wanted Jesus to do. That is not what he did. Nothing of the kind. This is a different frame of mind. He doesn't think like me. He's got quite a different plan in his mind. When we read the accounts of what Jesus did after he came out of the tomb, it's almost baffling. Well, let's see what he did when he first rose from the tomb on that Easter day. John chapter 20 for the first appearance of Jesus when he rose from the dead, starting at verse number 11, Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher and see two angels in white, one sitting at the head, the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had laid. They said unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She said unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. When she had said thus, she turned herself back and saw Jesus, and knew not that it was Jesus. And Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? 
Whom seekest thou? She's supposing him to be the gardener. Said unto him, Sir, if thou hast borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said unto her, Mary. And she turned herself and said unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. And Jesus said, Touch me not, for I am not ascended to my father, but go to my brothers, saying to them, I send to my father and your father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and all that he had spoken unto her. The first person to see the resurrected Christ is Mary Magdalene. Not Pilate, not Caiaphas, not the Jewish leaders, but Mary Magdalene. Here's a woman who the Bible tells us was possessed by seven demons. Now, my friends, to be possessed by seven demons, you had to be in a pretty bad place. Your life had to be a real mess. Mary Magdalene had sold her soul to the devil and was completely under the influence of evil. Until that one special day, she met Jesus of Nazareth, and he cast those seven demons out of her and set her free. And after that, she followed him wherever he went, because she felt helpless without him. It was Mary Magdalene, whose life had been a disaster, who was number one on Jesus' list, his first stop after he rose from the dead. And why, you wonder, I suppose it was because she was the most broken hearted. Then there's a second appearance of Jesus on that first Easter day, reading from Matthew 28. The angel answered and said to the woman, Fear not, you, for I know you seek Jesus which was crucified. He is not here, he is risen, as he said. Come and see the place where the Lord lay. Go quickly. Tell his disciples he's risen from the dead. Behold, he goes before you into Galilee. There you shall see him. Lo, I have told you. And he departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy and did run to bring his disciples word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail! And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. The old English renders it all hail. In our words today, it would be, it's good to see you all. How are you? A group of ladies they were. Ladies in those days were low on the social scale. Ladies, there was no women's rights movement in those days. Those ladies had followed Jesus. And the Bible tells us they followed him so they could make him lunch. So they could mend his clothes, do his wash to cook his meals, to serve his everyday needs, and often to pay for them. Sort of traveling housemaids. And in the scheme of all that had happened, not very important. Why did he meet them on that road before others? Why are they honored with a visit and a warm welcome before everyone else because he doesn't think like you and me. For his third visit on that first Easter day, he will join two men 
who are walking away from Jerusalem. One we are told is named Cleopas. The other we didn't even know his name. We don't even know who he was. We know nothing of Cleopas either except for his name. Strangers and unknown people were his third appearance on Easter Day. And then in the evening, he makes his fourth appearance back in Jerusalem. John chapter 20 again. The same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, it showed to him his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. There were the disciples. They had scattered at his arrest in Gethsemane. They had abandoned him. Peter, later that night, denied he even knew Jesus three different times. There they were, faint of heart, frightened, unfaithful, now hiding in a locked room for fear. It's a strange list of people that the risen Lord visited on that first Easter day, is it not? First, a formerly demon-possessed woman, then a group of housekeepers, then two perfect strangers, unknown, never-before-heard-of people, and then a group of frightened men who had failed their master. He who had washed their feet on the Last Supper, and they swore when he did that they would never abandon him. And they were failures all. Quite a group, isn't it? A woman whose life had been a history of demon possession, housewives, unknown stranger, and unfaithful friends. And somewhere we know that on that first Easter day, he held a private, never-to-be-recorded meeting with Peter, the man who, cursing and swearing, said, I don't even know Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus, risen from the dead in glorious power and might, the lion of the tribe of Judah, triumphant over death and hell, bursting forth from the tomb, spends his first day with housekeepers and strangers and deniers and unfaithful friends. Now, my friends, he wants to teach us as Jesus rose from the dead, not to flaunt his power, not to frighten his enemies, but rather to bring hope to helpless people like Mary Magdalene and to bring warm welcome to the lowly people like the ladies who cooked his meals, and to make himself accessible to perfect strangers and unknown people, people like you and me. To unfaithful people who fail him, he comes into their locked rooms and into their hiding places and searches them out and finds out where they are hiding, and he comes in and he offers his hand to them, a hand of friendship. Yes, it has a nail scar in it, but he bears no grudge. He only reaches out to touch them. My friends, 
There was no social distance on that first Easter day. They grabbed him by the feet and they clung to him. They touched his hands and they held on to his arms. This resurrected Jesus is all for people like you and me. Plain and ordinary people. People with a bad history. People who have failed. People who didn't want to be known as a Christ follower. Somewhere on that list is you and me. Failed, brokenhearted, unknown, unimportant, afraid, alone, and helpless. This Easter day, I ask you, where are you today? Jesus rose from the dead and went to the neediest and the loneliest and the most fearful and spent his whole first day being kind to people just like you and me. This Easter morning, I ask you, are you afraid? Are you feeling alone? Are you frustrated? Are you brokenhearted? If you are, let me assure you of this. He will come to you first. He will enter your world. Oh, yes, he's powerful. Oh, yes, he shattered the forces of earth and hell that tried to do away with him and destroy him and seal him forever in a tomb. Oh, yes, they are all outnumbered by one man, the risen Christ. But in his glorious power, his first concern is for you and for me. He is tenderhearted and he loves us still. We may not make a mark in this world, but Jesus knows who we are. And he knows where we are right here this morning. And I assure you, he rose from the dead for you. So hallelujah, he is risen. He is risen indeed. God bless you. Because you have been here today, open your heart to Jesus, I invite you. He's knocking on your door. He comes to you wherever you are. So open the door and welcome him in. May God bless you on this Easter day. May you see it clearly that he has risen from the dead for you. Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for rising from the dead for us and in glorious power purchasing us a life the eternal and the blessings of heaven and we are thrilled in our heart at what you have done for us and it surprises us that you came down to be here just with us here we are meeting in a parking lot Oh, that God is here. We thank you for it, and it thrills our hearts. We do say, all that thrills my soul is Jesus. He's all that we want on this Easter day. And if we've had him, and our Easter is full, doesn't matter where we are, we can trust in you. We thank you for this hallowed ground where we gather in your precious name. I'll bless these people because they've been with us today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.
to sing one more song before we're finished. We're going to sing the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Thank you for coming. 